last year I did this program at Williamsburg called Romance Period, which was all period romances. And that was that was a lot of fun because that was like, I have a hypothesis about this place. <laughs> and I think they really like these movies and they did. So that kind of gave me confidence to do like Shakespeare was a 90s kid because a lot of those movies have a similar vibe. And like um, paying attention to what works can really be based on a vibe and how do we get that vibe again, you know? Hey everybody, happy new year and welcome back to Marquee Mixtape. This is the podcast about repertory cinema in New York City and I'm your host, Alec Rodriguez. We're back after a short holiday break and I'm choosing to start the new year by taking this show into a new format that I'm committing to. So here's how the show is going to roll out from now on. The main show is going to cover a single repertory film series that is running at a cinema or a museum or a screening room in New York City. And that coverage is going to span across two episodes. Part one will feature my interview with the expert behind the film series that we're spotlighting. And part two is going to feature my reaction to that film series. And I'll have a guest on the show help me with that. So you can expect that part one is going to come before the film series begins. And then part two will come a couple of weeks later when the film series is at an end. So that's something that I experimented with last month in December. And I was really happy with like how it flowed and like the process, you know, behind the scenes and everything. As always, if you have any strong opinions on what's working and what isn't working, then you can always reach out to me at marqueemixtape at gmail.com. So in today's episode, we're talking to Desmond Thorne. He's the programmer at Nighthawk Cinema, and his next film series is Bobby's World, the selected works of Robert De Niro. I'm going to read a summary of this film series from Nighthawk's letterbox list. From the 1960s to the present day, Robert De Niro has remained one of Hollywood's most prolific and versatile actors. Over the years, his characters have frightened us, made us laugh, made us cry, and sometimes all within the same film. No matter the role, De Niro always approaches his work with a sense of empathy and surprise, which have been keys to his long and successful career. On the eve of what will surely be his ninth Oscar nomination, we take a look back at some of the selected works of Robert De Niro, including collaborations with Francis Ford Coppola, Michael Mann, Quentin Tarantino, Michael Cimino, and of course, Martin Scorsese. This is Bobby's world. We're just living in it. So along with the covering uh, this upcoming film series, Bobby's World, in my conversation with Desmond, we get into the business of film programming. Uh, his observations on the evolving landscape of audiences at both Nighthawk locations, Prospect Park and Williamsburg, the screenings he's most proud to have programmed, the challenges of acquiring celluloid prints, and the rewards of making connections with like film archives and private collectors, and so much more. So before I take you there, let's go through some quick programming reminders. Remember to check us out on Substack. You can find us at Marquee Mixtape on Substack. My next write-up there is going to be something of like a year-end, you know, thoughts and observations on all of the repertory screenings that I'd seen over the past year and, uh, and how that kind of tied into the development of this podcast. So if that's something you're interested in, check out the Substack. Um, you can also find the podcast there too, in audio form. As always, you can find our show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts too, and follow the pod on Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky at Marquee Mixtape. We're also on Letterboxd, where you can find a new list for each episode containing every movie mentioned in the guest interviews. And without further ado, here is my conversation with the film programmer of Nighthawk Cinema, Desmond Thorne. Okay, Desmond Thorne, thanks for joining me today on Marquee Mixtape. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. I'm super excited to have you. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the work that you do at Nighthawk Cinema. Um, Nighthawk Thank has you. just been one of my, you know, favorite cinema experiences in in New York. And thank you. I've just really like I've. It's been really apparent to me, like the like the repertory programming that comes out of Nighthawk, especially from the Prospect Park location. And 
that's where I feel like I've I've seen you there, like <laughs> live introductions, yeah. you know, or like kind of bouncing around, and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this guy's part of like that team that yeah that, like, yeah doing this, and um, so yeah, so it's it's really awesome to have you on the show. Thank um, you, thank you. And so, you live in that area, or do you live closer to Williamsburg? No, I live in the Park Slope area. Oh, yeah, cool! Yeah, nice. yeah. So yeah, so it's a it's it's a good area, and the theater is amazing. I feel like Thank it's you. it's part of the community. You know what I mean? It's really become part of the community, and that's great. And it's yeah, it's uh it's something I really haven't seen from a cinema in a long, long time. Mm. Where where like the cinema that 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 hub that that you know it feels like it's part of the community of the people. It's part of the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has a very it has a very distinct um, personality. You oh, know that's I mean? great. That's yeah. great. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. And you just see that in what's on the marquee. And you see that just from, uh, you know, the, the the audiences and the people that are at the trivia nights and just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and the staff too, the staff is so lovely. Yeah, um, I love them. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> I really, really do. Right. So um, I would love to know, uh, when did you experience your first repertory screening? How did you find this world of revival houses and independent cinemas? It's really interesting. I I have to say it was probably through um, a friend of mine that I met uh, probably around like 2018 or so. I think I knew that this was a thing that happened, um, but I didn't really get into it until I met this person who was working for a lot of festivals. They were doing a lot of things with um, like talent coordination and ticketing, kind of any kind of job that you can do in a festival, et cetera. So that's when I started to hear about uh, and really get a sense of programming and mm-hmm. what that was. I think mm-hmm. I always knew that theaters like BAM and Nighthawk were playing these throwback movies because I remember pitching the idea of Nighthawk to my brother back in the day. So my brother has always been um, kind of anti-dine-in cinemas because... <laughs> He thinks that it can get in the way of the experience of watching a movie, which I understand. Mm-hmm. So I remember telling him, well, there's this theater where you can go watch a movie that you may have seen before already. So it, that doesn't get yeah. in the way of the experience as much. So yeah, around this time is when I started to get clued into the fact that like this was a job that people did as a group and like put on together mm. in these cinemas. Um and I have to say, probably around this time, too, this definitely wasn't my first rep screening, but one of the ones that was part of the Launchpad inspiration mm. was um, a screening of the film Another Year, Another Mike year. Lee film. I don't it's think I've seen this one. so good. Um, I went to that screening because it was a movie that I always wanted to see. I had maybe already seen it, but Leslie Manville is in this movie, as she's in a lot of his movies. But I remember the year this movie came out, there was so much buzz about this performance from this woman in this supporting role. And I was like, well, who is this queen? And then I got into her, and she was going to be at the screening. Mm. And I see this guy come up and do an intro, and his name was Ashley Clark. Mm. I don't know if you know about him, but he. I don't. He was a programmer at BAM at the time, and now he works for the Criterion Collection. Okay, now it's ringing a bell. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I saw him do the intro and then do the Q&A, and I was like, oh, this is sick. <laughs> and I, the timeline of my life is so crazy because I can't even remember if this is when I had started programming for Newfest or not. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you know, meeting this friend, who's into festivals, working for festivals, mm-hmm. find out about programming, find out that this is a job that people can have. And then I start looking for internships because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, at the time I'm serving, I'm working on a food truck, I'm directing, I'm working front of house at St. Anne's Warehouse. I'm doing a lot of shit. (laughs) And the one thing that I really want to drop out of my life, something that I'm good at and I love and appreciate was food service. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I would love to have a full-time job, 
what is a job that I can do that I feel like I'm equipped to do? So this is when I find out about programming. I do a programming internship uh, with NewFest. This had to be 2018 at the same time that I'm serving at the newly opened Nighthawk Prospect Park. Wow. So um, I did the programming internship with NewFest, which only lasted a short amount of time because the director of programming, maybe a few months after I started, asked me if I wanted to be the programming coordinator for the upcoming festival that year. So I was the programming coordinator for that festival that year, came back to program again the year after, um, worked for them for a couple of years and had at the same time, like I said, had been working for Nighthawk mm-hmm. and um, they knew I was interested in programming because- Who, Nighthawk? Even, yeah. Because yeah. even though like I found out really about the job of programming through someone who worked for a festival and then working for a festival myself, mm-hmm. uh, programming- rep cinema in New York was something um, like, you know, in theaters. Right. Um, was something that I was more interested in because I it was more using the knowledge that I had as just like a lover of film yep. and a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I think my knowledge as a filmmaker is very, very key to festival programming. Right. Because a lot of it is, I mean, all of it <laughs> is watching new work. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of why something does or doesn't work is very much coming from that point of view. You have to have the eye for it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I would also have to say that getting to know a friend of mine who does do the trivia at Nighthawk, Shay mm-hmm. Fillmore, yes. she, I met her through this aforementioned friend who worked festivals okay and i saw the cool programming that she was doing at videology she eventually became the director of programming there before they closed um so learning a lot through getting to know people um getting to see people do intros and q a's and see Mm -hmm. what kind of programs people were putting together yeah like ash clark put together a program in either 2018 or 2019 at BAM, that was a black 90s program. It was incredible. Yeah. It was so, so good. Um, Just seeing stuff like that and really starting to clue in and pay attention to like, okay, what kinds of programs are people doing? Mm -hmm. Like what seems really interesting to me? What is everybody talking about when the announcements go up like you know what are people gravitating toward um so yeah i started to really pay attention to that and um, i remember when i started at nighthawk as a server if i was working like the first round of (laughs) a movie which is usually matinee round on the slower Mm -hmm. side i would just take that time to write down and be like okay like um, what kinds of things would I want to do if I were programming here? I was like, I would definitely want to do a series where we take another look at movies that were panned in the past that mm-hmm. I think are really good, have an iconic following. I was like, you know, what kinds of um, themes do I think would be good for programs for like a month and things like that? And um, yeah, it's really... Uh, goes back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know? It's a lot of brainstorming. <coughs> a, lot of, a lot of drafting these ideas up. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like even way before um, I got the job, it's something that has just always been like a natural fit for me to mm. um, just kind of like sit down and think about these things. Yeah, like what, yeah. What conversations do these films have and what would people be into? Now, is it common for uh, organizations like NewFest to have those internships that kind of like, um, you know, uh, I guess like teach folks about like programming. I wish um, it's really one of the, it's really one of the few examples that I can give people when mm-hmm. they ask me. And I'm not even really sure if they have that internship anymore. Um, a lot of 
what festivals will do is have a position mostly on a volunteer basis where mm-hmm. you are a pre-screener where you are helping whittle down the submissions and give the movies that you recommend to move on to the next level. Mm. Um, And those positions can be very helpful because when people are writing their comments and giving their thoughts, like those are the people that like, if you're trying to find someone to guest moderate do a guest intro, Mm -hmm. fill in for something or, you know, kind of continue working with them. You're really looking at those um, comments and that input Uh, that other people gave. And I've seen quite a few people get noticed that way, honestly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a couple of years of experience uh, as a programming coordinator at New New Fest, which was more for like independent new cinema up and coming filmmakers, right? Yes. Yeah. And then you've been at Nighthawk now as a repertory programmer since 2021. Yes. Yeah. And so how has it changed for you, you know, getting into the repertory side of programming from when you started in 2021, you know, full on with Nighthawk? Uh, and, and now we're, we're about to enter 2024. It's crazy. Um, man, when I first started, I really kind of took for granted what the audience was like um, before COVID, I mm. think. Um, I, when I was first putting programs together, I really think that that's kind of where my head was. And I was kind of thinking that I kind of wanted to do, not like whatever I wanted to do, <laughs> not like in that way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but kind of, but kind of, you yeah, know, because yeah, I yeah. was, Cause I was first starting out and I wanted to um, kind of like figure things out if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and it's been really great to get to know the audience mm. over the years. I mean, I think the, I think both locations have actually changed a lot. I was about to ask you that, like, like how, how much has the audience changed over the past couple of years? It's really interesting. Mm. I mean, and you can kind of see it in the neighborhoods too. I want to say like the, one who has the biggest change, hands down, Williamsburg has changed so much. Oh yeah, in some in in many ways, in some ways, it's exactly the same. Like <laughs> a movie like Poor Things performing excellently there, Makes not a sense. surprise. Like right. The Lobster fucking killed it there. The Favor mm. fucking killed it there. Like a good movie that kind of fits that darker sensibility. Like right. thumbs up, mm-hmm. good to go. Especially yeah. starring Emma Stone. Like done. Yep, but. That being said, on the rep side, it is a bit different in terms of the... They're younger, yo. Yeah, that's what everyone keeps saying. They are younger. Like unexpectedly, right? Yes. And with that comes not a completely different taste, but a little bit. Like Mm. there are some things that are... There's this interesting like middle period mm. that the generation who frequents that theater just isn't fucking with. Like they're not really <laughs> fucking with a lot of stuff from the 80s, interestingly. Mm. Um, which is very interesting and a lesson that we yeah. learned. Oh. And we were like, okay, <laughs> noted. Yeah. Not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, there's always exceptions to every rule, but mm. they're definitely um a lot younger so the things that they are perhaps nostalgic for are different than um the audiences before yeah i would say there before was a lot of what i would call like um like a bushwicky crowd like you know motherfuckers living in the McKibben lofts stuff like that <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah love and a lot of those people have moved <laughs> oh true <laughs> And that's true. Williamsburg now kind of feels like a mini Soho in some ways. Mm. And like, there's a lot of like little fucking rich kids living there. And shit. <laughs> yeah. So like, again, things like uh, Priscilla are going to do well. But oh, a yeah. movie like showing up that would have killed years mm, ago because yeah. that's who was living there. Yeah. It was like, 
crickets. That's like, amazing. Oh, see that? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, by the way, showing up, great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very that was a great lesson, and it has actually made it a much more fun challenge to program there. Gotcha. Um, and it's interesting to know that, like a series like Shakespeare was a nineties kid. Everyone mm. was like, Oh my God, I can't believe, uh, well, not everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the elders <laughs> in the office. And okay. JK. They're not yeah, that yeah, old. Yeah. They were like, Oh my gosh, she's the man is selling out. I'm like, yes, of course. Yeah. She's the man is fucking selling out. Like, you know, th- that's who goes there. And at the same right. time, master and commander far side of the world will also sell out there. Yeah. It's like you, have a very interesting mix of people who are young, but they're very interested. Was this part of the job that you expected? Like kind of like gauging like um, the demographics and like, you know, like like what, what the trends are? Actually, it's interesting. No. Yeah. Uh, before I started, um, I always kind of had this, perhaps young and naive point of view that (laughs) what was programmed kind of steered the audience. Okay. Um, And to some extent before COVID that might have been true Mm. because there was kind of a, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want (laughs) kind of vibe going on a little bit before COVID, I think. And I think everyone has learned to really listen a lot more and really um, find their theater's voice through listening to what the audience is showing up to. You know, still throwing in some, what I would call challenges, of Mm -hmm. course, and kind of seeing how, people take to those and seeing what you can learn from those because at the same time you don't want to keep it stale you can't keep doing the same exact thing over and over again because that gets boring so how do you stay ahead of that how do you stay like on top of the trends of what you know some of these audiences are gonna be starving for like they're excited for sometimes it's um kind of looking ahead to a few things, kind of like what's coming out mm-hmm. that people are excited for. Um, sometimes, oh, so you kind of match that. Yeah, That's totally. Smart. That's totally. smart. I like that. Like, for example, your shirt. Nope. Yep. Um, I One of the ideas that I had come up with when I was a server is this program called The Leading Ladies of Sci-Fi. Mm. Um, because there's so many great, amazing Mm -hmm. women-led sci-fi films. And Nope was coming out. And I was, and as more information about this movie was coming out, it was clear that it kind of had more of a sci-fi vibe than a horror vibe like his previous films. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, Kiki Palmer is about to be a leading lady of sci-fi. This is a good time. July, what year was that? 2019? No, that was last year. That was last year. So July 2022, that was leading ladies of sci-fi. So sometimes it's that. Um, Sometimes it's really paying attention to um, what people are kind of gravitating toward. I don't want to always say it's the internet because sometimes that can be misleading, honestly. Right, right. But there is something to that. Like Letterbox, for example. Yeah, and I right. and I won't discredit that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not everything. It can never be everything because I've definitely yeah. seen people try <laughs> to do things solely based off of internet memes and it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because people think something is funny doesn't mean they want to see it in a <laughs> theater, yeah, you know? Thousand percent. Uh, but it's there's an aspect of it that's that. Um, there's kind of looking at um, actors and directors that are beloved by people, like people really go hard for. Right. Um, there's... Um, sometimes the time of the year is very, very helpful. You can kind of look at the calendar and be like, okay, you know, February is coming up. You know, I'm about to do some love (laughs) shit. You already (laughs) know. And, uh, you know, knowing last year, I did this program at Williamsburg called Romance Period, which was all 
period romances. <laughs> Love and that. <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun because that was like I have a hypothesis about mm. this place. <laughs> and I think they really like these movies and mm-hmm. they did. Yeah. So that kind of gave me confidence to do like Shakespeare was a 90s kid because a lot of those movies have a similar vibe. Yeah. And like um paying attention to what works can really be based on a vibe and how do we get that vibe again? Right. You know? And and did you expect to have like um, so much creativity involved in like creating these series? Like, like this one, for example, mm-hmm. romance period. It's just like, <laughs> like when you're drafting these ideas, like it sounds like there's a lot of creativity that's part of the process. Yes. And yeah. it is one of the things that I am most grateful for mm. in terms of this job um, because I've always very much been in a creative space as, you know, someone who went to school for acting, mm-hmm. a filmmaker, writer, director, producer, um, to know that this job also lets me be so creative in terms of creating these programs, creating mm-hmm. the titles for the programs, you know, deciding the order that the yeah. program goes in, yeah. um, deciding which movies go to which location. Yeah. Is this a brunch movie? Is mm-hmm. this a weeknight movie? A late night oh, round. Exactly. Yeah. Are we getting this on a print? Are we getting this on a DCP? Um, and I had another thought. What was it? Oh, and also intros and Q and A's. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who, uh, performs a lot and has performed a lot throughout my life and mm-hmm. has done a lot of producing and writing. It's great. I am forced to write a minimum of three intros per month, which also means wow. I have to get up in front of people and say them. Whenever <laughs> anyone is in front of a group of people and they are talking, they are performing. Like that's it. That's, thousand percent. That's yeah. just the fact, you know? Right. Um, and then in terms of Q and A is like getting to be creative and connect with people mm. as a creative myself is yeah. just always the best. So I'm very that. thankful for the creativity <laughs> and the trailers as well for the programs. I should also mention. Are you um, editing some of those? So we collaborate with um, our content editor, Kat Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And essentially what I'll do to make things easier for her, cause she's doing trailers. She's doing pre-shows. She's doing interstitial. She's doing a bunch oh of shit. Gosh. And in order to make her life easier for the trailers. And because I usually have a very, specific vision in mind mm-hmm. for what I would like those to be. I'll usually do for what's called a paper edit, which is her um, her system of working. Okay. Essentially, I'll get the song edited by a friend of mine who usually does the sound on my films okay. if I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then put together the clips and when they should happen on this paper edit. So all that she has to do, download the clip, drop it in, do the titles, all that. She'll send me a cut. I'll send her notes. And then (laughs) it's done. Um, Because that is not a skill that I possess. (laughs) I know where things should go. Yeah. I can't. She puts the finesse on it. She makes it look really good. Wow. It really sounds like it's just like a whole production. Yeah, it really is. Like per per film series. Yes. Because a a lot of them, I don't know if all of them have trailers, do they? Not all of them. It's really up to us, the person who makes the program. Yeah. Like how much you want to put into it. And also... Sometimes a program is like a little small, yep. um, not like a not like a blip. Nothing's a blip, yeah, 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 but there yeah. are things that are like larger than mm-hmm. others. I would say the graphics too. I mean, like yeah. I know I know not every film series has like a, a really nice like <laughs> graphic design that will come yeah, with social yeah. media posts. But like the first one that I noticed was the uh, Great Gowns, Beautiful Gowns. Oh my god! So. Like, who yes. made that? Who made that graphic? So, that was so nice. This is another thing that I started. Um, what was the first thing we did it with? It might have been. Uh, no, it might have been that one. Um, I have to think back, but um, this is something that I started with our um, website designer and social media person. Oh, okay. Um, Conrad. I had always thought that like 
similar to what Criterion Channel does when they have a program, yep. I was like, I like that there's a graphic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I understand sometimes it is just kind of better to put in stills and kind of like call it a day. Sure. But also just having a graphic that really represents the program, especially yeah. if there's a lot of titles. Oh yeah. And these are titles that people will be excited about. Yep. And this is something that lends itself to a graphic, then yeah. like, let's do it. Yeah. So me and him started collabing on that this past year. And that has been a lot of fun. You know what it feels like? It feels like a gig poster. And it yes. reminds me of like, it gave me like Mondo vibes. Like remember when Mondo, yes. okay. Remember when Mondo started out and it was like, whenever they released a new poster or like a new record, it had that gig poster vibe that we don't 100%. typically see, but 100%. it was celebrating an old film. It was celebrating something that's not new anymore. Something that's, that we just love to rewatch over and over again. 100%. And when I saw the great gowns, beautiful gowns, you know, Instagram posts, I was like, that's like a gig poster. And it had, yeah. the, it had the dates for each location. Like this is what's playing at prospect park. This was playing yeah. at Williamsburg. Yeah. And, uh, and that for me was, that was like, this is exciting. I have that, <laughs> I have that to look forward to next month, you know, yes, in January. Thank and, you. Um, yeah. And it just, it, it adds so much, you know, uh, nuance to like the event that, thank that you. these repertory film series, you know, give at Nighthawk. Yeah. I always kind of try to think of it that way. I remember talking to our executive director and director of operations about how these really big programs should feel like an event, kind of yeah. like a, with a very distinct beginning, middle and end. Again, mm -hmm. it's like the filmmaker thing, yeah. like, you know, um, having marketing materials, like you were saying, the graphic mm -hmm. and the trailer. Like I remember for great gowns, beautiful gowns, <laughs> First trailer. of all, using the Aretha Franklin thing, I was like, That's, <laughs> that was the inspiration. Yeah. Um, and the Lady Gaga song, too. I was mm -hmm. like, this is, this is the experience. You yeah. have to give people an experience that they remember and that they yeah. want to come to more than one thing, hopefully, you know? Yeah. Actually, it, it really helps the, the audience, like me, like, set the mood, set the vibe for what you're signing up for, even yes. if it's weeks in advance. Just like, I'm not just going to see Clueless, right? You know what I'm Like, I'm going to see the climax of this film series event. Yeah, going to have, you know, a live drag pre-show. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, she that, does everything. That junior mint, well, that was on, but like, my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> that was so amazing. Amazing. Good. Like that, so that, good. That, that to me was like no joke was was a big part that inspired me to do this podcast right oh like, that's amazing because i saw that whole event and i was just like where else do you get something mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. you know? and i was just like yo like i see you nighthawk <laughs> like <laughs> this is like like seriously where else can you get this and i'm from la so like i know a lot of these revival theaters and i was just like yes. i don't think they do stuff like that in LA. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i was like um so i don't know that then i started to really really like set my targets like mm -hmm. around new york city like where else can i get something like what I got when I saw Clueless. Yeah. You know I mean? Oh, that uh, was so much fun. That was so much fun. And again, that's that that's the eventizing of like seeing your favorite old movie, like on the 100%, big screen. 100%. 100%. And I think <laughs> that was intentionally like the closing of that program. I think yeah. we started that program with Phantom Thread on yep. the print mm -hmm. and then ended it with that Clueless, yeah. which yeah. was, yeah. It's, tied, tied knot. Yeah. Great. So much fun. <laughs> so what can you tell me about the work that you do that goes into acquiring celluloid prints and projecting them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> getting prints. Uh, so essentially, these are, you know, conversations and relationships that we have with distributors. And... Um, John Woods, who is one of our directors of programming, um, he does a lot of the repertory booking. So thankfully, we have a very strong relationship with a lot of these distributors. Um, and we basically will put stuff on the calendar, 
months in advance mm-hmm. and then we will send him our requests months in advance so that they can be booked. Um, and when getting prints specifically, the process kind of varies from distributor to distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, it's not bad, mm-hmm. depending on what you're asking for. Okay. Um, there are certain things that are not available anymore, mm-hmm. which of course is a bummer. Um, and that's because of like the organic nature of these prints. Yeah. Um, I would say it's mostly that, um, sometimes distributors don't have them anymore on a non-archival basis, um, because, I mean, various reasons. Sure. Um, and so usually you just put in a request, they'll let you know if they have it, Mm -hmm. if it's available for those dates, because unlike a DCP, if someone has the one and only print, they got the one and only print. You right. got to either change your date or yeah. keep moving. Um, that's happened. <laughs> oh, that happened for one that was going to be in a series in February. Mm. That very sad about. But at yeah. the end of the day, you have to make the call. Right. You know, if a print is not available, yeah. you have a few options. Either you um, book it on DCP if it's mm. uh, not available on a print. Yeah. And if it's not available on DCP, then. You know, yeah, that, and that makes it a lot harder. So when you have like a, a series, right, that is kind of like for the most part planned out, like you have your your you know x amount of films that you've selected for the series, do you then kind of like highlight the movies that you are on your wish list to have on celluloid and pass that to John, and then yes. John, that's basically how it works. Mm-hmm. And I will also say another. Uh, Another side of it, another yeah, a continuation of that is mm-hmm. we also deal with uh, quite a few archives and mm-hmm. our other director of programming, Christina Cacioppo, mm-hmm. who's responsible for Sundays on Fire, which I know you oh, love. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, she deals with the archives. So in cool. terms of archival stuff, this is when, you know, sometimes the distributor won't have anything available. So this is our next step reaching out to an archive or a collector, Mm. a collector who may have it. For example, a lot of Sundays on fire at this point is collector and archive. So how Um, do you, I mean, I guess that's a question for Christina. Like, you know, how do you find those connections? You know what I mean? Again, that's relationships. Like she's been in the game for so long and like she's a really great person, takes Mm. very great care with every single aspect of the job. So like, she keeps up those really good relationships. Yeah. So, you know, when people trust you, that is a yeah. trust that you really want to keep. And, you know, sometimes there are certain things that are out of your control. Right. Like um, we have an amazing, brilliant projection team. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, this is, you know, old equipment. Things happen. Yeah. This is, you know, part of the reason, well, you know, I won't say <laughs> that this is the only reason because we know Avatar is a big reason why we're doing digital cinema these days. God but you know, <laughs> part of the reason why, besides expense, yeah, um, you know, ease, etc., is that you know this stuff is material. It yes. can break. Yes. It can shred. It can snap. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes when those things happen, those things are out of your control, and as long as you are upfront and our um head projectionists are amazing mm-hmm. and if anything like that were to ever happen communicating that with the distributor or the archive as soon as possible is mm-hmm. always appreciated and they you know they love that yeah um, just like any good relationship communication yeah. is key, key. <laughs> um but yeah g- dipping into archives and collectors like Working with a new collector or a new archive is like opening up just like the best Christmas present ever. Like we started working with the Library of Congress um, this past year, Mm -hmm. which is interestingly (laughs) one that I set up on accident um, (laughs) because uh, we were looking for a print of No Country for Old Men. Mm. And I asked them for it and she was like, yeah, we have one. We can't let it out. But 
would love to work with y'all. So we got that set up and nice. um, we've been working with them. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool process. Um, the only thing that's truly, truly heartbreaking is when a film is just simply not available at all. Yeah. Um, one that comes to mind is Dead Presidents. Oh yeah, you you, just, you still played it last year, this past no. year. Really? Uh-uh. Not even on DCP? No, there there is oh. no DCP of that movie. No way. There's no DCP of that movie. Um, we are trying to see if Disney may have an archival print. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to show it next year. Yeah. Um, because that movie is brilliant. But mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of crazy when. Movies just disappear like that. It's scary. Um, it is. It it's is. Scary. Because like, yeah, that's it. Like, that's the movie. Uh, we reached out to the Hughes brothers. Mm-hmm. They don't have their own personal print. Yeah. Um, uh, I, that, that brings me to another place uh-huh. that we sometimes get prints from, which is directors. I was just um, about to ask you about that. Yeah. I know you've had a couple of, of prints that came from directors. Are those relationships that you made or that the team has made? So it depends. Mm. For example, um, the couple, I think either one or two uh, Anna Byler prints uh, that Christina showed were from her, mm. and that's from her relationship with her. The print of Fear of a Black Hat that we got mm-hmm. from Rusty Kandif, I just uh, got his email from another mm-hmm. programmer. Yeah. Reached out to him, yeah. put out some feelers. Mm-hmm. He sent it to us, which is still wow. so crazy to me. This man does not know us. Yeah. He has never met us. <laughs> and he Did he come to the screening? Huh? Did he go to the screening? No, he's in LA. He said he wished oh. that he could come. Um, and he also said, and which I understand, um, mm-hmm. and said in my intro, I was like, y'all, this is the first time that this print is being screened in a theater publicly. Oh, shit. And I do believe that it may be the last time. Wow. And when we sent the print back, FedEx was playing games. They oh. did. They were, you know, it was essentially sitting in the destination location. Yeah. For some, you know, they. I'm not going to talk shit about yeah, FedEx. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. I get you. Um, and then when he got the print back, because me and him were talking about it. He was like, yeah, I'm so glad the show went well. I wish I could have been there. It's probably mm. the last time I'll send it out. Damn. And I was like, yeah, I thought yeah. so. <laughs> so like wow. that is such a lucky thing. And that yeah. print is beautiful. Because that's another one that like is not available. Yeah. No one has a print. Um, oh, actually, man. a collector does have a print in mm. LA. Um, yeah. But there is no DCP of that movie. So mm. yeah. Well, what would you say is... um the movie that you screened repertory film that you screened this, you know, in your, your whole time at Nighthawk that you're the most proud of that, that you were able to get in a Nighthawk cinema. You know, something that I was really proud of this past year is a screening of this film called Holy Trinity. I actually have, Mm -hmm. I'll show you the poster here. Um, very very cool poster this is oh, a nice aerosol spray um leading up to a skeleton oh wow where'd, where'd you get that so this is the filmmaker made this um this was a film this was a film that i um screened at Newfest. the first year i worked for Newfest. this had to be 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it so much. And I was doing a queer camp series this past June. And I was like, you know, among the heavy hitters, I really want to include, you know, what's coming next? Like mm-hmm. people who are paying homage to the hits, you know? Um, and I was. A little hesitant because it was a film that I loved and also acknowledged that a lot of other people obviously had not heard of or hadn't seen. Yeah. Um, It's not like it's a movie that got like a huge distribution deal. It's very much centered in the Chicago queer scene. Mm. So it's not necessarily local, even though um, Sarah Squirm from SNL is part of it because she's from Chicago. 
um, I was like, I don't know how this will do, but I want to, I want to do it. Yeah. And I was able to get the filmmaker out here. They are nice. amazing. So I did a Q and a with them. Wow. Um, they were premiering this new scratch and sniff version of the film <laughs> and that screening sold out in our largest theater at Williamsburg. I was, amazing. I remember being so <laughs> nervous. I yeah. was like, Oh man, <laughs> I really want to do this movie, but I don't know how well it's going to do yeah. Not because of the quality of the movie but like i was saying you know it's yeah. not um not very well known right and yeah. as i was saying before williamsburg can be a little tough yeah 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 but, but there's always an audience for that. there's always an audience for, sure. for you know people who are looking for rare exports in a sense 100%, right 100 <laughs> percent. that's and awesome. yeah that was I was very, very proud of that. And I was very, very proud of them, that filmmaker. Yeah. Um, their name is Glam Hag. Um, they're just... How can we watch it now? Um, I believe it's on Vimeo. I believe it's on Vimeo. If you okay. Google Holy Trinity uh, Glam Hag, you should probably find it. Okay. But it's wonderful. It is wonderful. I should say what it's about, actually. <laughs> it is about a uh, dominatrix who starts to, who gets an ability to talk to the dead when they start huffing aerosol spray. Yo, that's crazy. It's really good. It's that's really, awesome. really good. So you had, did, you had a sold out screening for that. Yeah. And did it come with the scratch and sniff too? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. See, that's, that's so dope. That it was... Awesome. So much fun. It was really, really wonderful. Do, do, do you have a standout audience reception in your time at Nighthawk, whether it was like a walkout or a standing ovation that lasted more than a few minutes or anything like that? Uh, an, audience, an audience question that stood out? <laughs> I would say, I mean, a very memorable screening, of course, whenever you screen Showgirls. Um, <laughs> Showgirls was part of Reconsider This in March 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the crowd was so ready, the servers who were working were dressed up. It was just such a fun screening. So, so, so much fun. Um, and I would also say whenever Miss Malice comes in with any drag performers for a screening, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and those shows get better and better, which is crazy. I mean, they've done a show with Bound. What, Death Becomes Her was the last one. Yes. Right? And how many was that that Miss Malice had done? That was the... Was that... That was the... That was the fourth one. Oh, That was wow. the fourth one. Yeah, they did Bound, Cool Intentions... Um, multiple maniacs and death becomes her. Wow! And they get better and better. It's insane. I, I, every single time, like I can't believe it. They (laughs) just put together such a great show. That's the perfect mix of paying homage to the film itself, Mm -hmm. and then also to their strengths as performers. Um, and just doing cool shit for the audience, like. When Ramona Slick <laughs> came on that stage wet with a, with a <laughs> hole in her, I was like, yes, yes, 100%. I think I definitely saw some footage from that, from that screening on Twitter or something. It was, it was incredible. It was that's, so, so good. Yeah. They're going to do some, they're going to be doing, I think, four or five next year for us. Four or five shows. Yeah. Nice. And yeah. what and maybe Junior Mint too? Yes. I would love to bring Junior Mint back. She was she was incredible. She really she was. She was so yeah. incredible. Well, speaking of homages, I want to get into your next film series at Nighthawk. This is like the first full-blown film series of 2024, starting uh, in a few days in the first week of January. This is Bobby's World, the selected works of Robert De Niro. Uh, and this also includes a supplemental series, Bobby B-Sides, which are like deep cuts for uh, for the late night rounds. Yeah. Um, so what can you tell us about this? Uh, this has been really great to put together. I think I got this idea when I saw The King of Comedy earlier this year for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was watching it. I was just like, man, 
I know there's been a series for him before, but like he deserves another one. Yeah, he's, he's so good. He turned like, eighty this year. Yeah, <laughs> and there's just so much to choose from. Yeah, um, you can kind of go down so many different directions, and um, it was it's been really great to check out some of the movies of his that I had not seen yet. Yeah, in putting this together. Um, just gave me so much more of an appreciation of just the ease mm. that he has on screen. It's yeah. truly incredible. Um, and he's someone that I've been into for a long time. Um, albeit <laughs> in different kinds of movies, like mm-hmm. my introductions to Robert De Niro as a kid slash preteen or obviously like meet the parents. Yep. Yep. That was uh, the big one. The score uh, yep. men of honor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like late nineties. Yeah. 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 I and, think we're uh, around the same age. So like that, yeah. that, that, that's when I was being introduced to Robert De Niro as well. <laughs> like analyze this. <laughs> yes. Analyze this. Yes. Underrated movie. Yeah. Overshadowed by a television show that came out a few months earlier. That's about the same thing. Are you serious? <laughs> the Sopranos came out in January 1999. Oh, shit. You're right. Yep. Wow. And it's pretty much about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, one's funny and one yeah, is yeah. one is funny. <laughs> one's funny and one's a comedy, I should say. Right, there you go. Um but yeah, and also the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. I was that was on my list. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I remember being like, yeah, that's when I first met De Niro on the screen. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. It was like comedies that like the adults would take you to, like Meet the Parents, Analyze This, or yeah. the straight up family comedies, like yeah, Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> yeah, and then as like a teenager getting into high school, I saw Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. I saw the Godfather movies. Yeah. I saw the Deer Hunter, and I was like, mm. "Oh my god, this yeah. man is—he <laughs> is so yeah. like so fucking good, so yeah. beyond." Yeah. And um, you know, seeing King of Comedy, I was also really struck by the amount of empathy that he brings to his roles in terms of playing people who are not all there, I will say. Yeah. Um, I still haven't seen it. So I'm hoping to see that one. Very, very good. Um, Because oftentimes that is an aspect of the characters that he plays, that there's like something that's a little like, you know, off about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there's some sort of obsessiveness that's happening. Yeah. Some sort of compulsive uh, vibe to the character, uh, violent. Um, so I also remember in college seeing the movie Awakenings and I was like, yeah, dude, I was like, was God good. damn, yeah. this man <laughs> can like act his ass off again, yeah. bringing, such empathy and realness to something that especially at that time period was very played in a very character. Yeah. That was a Robert, Robert, Robin Williams, right? Yeah, man. Great pairing. Mm -hmm, Really? really They work very well together and they're both playing against type in that movie. Yeah. Um, It's, you know, I didn't end up programming that because as good as it is, I, there are some movies that have, a certain tone to them that I, I just don't believe people would <laughs> go see them for whatever reason. Right. Um, but I did include that in the pre-show because I think that's a movie nice. that I think people should know about. Yeah. And that they're both excellent in. I love that. So if you can't fit it into the film series, you'll find a way to kind of still sneak it into the pre-show in case anyone's Always. interested to look it up. That's so cool. I love Always, that. Yeah. A little Easter egg trick there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if there's a movie that we couldn't get that I went to put in, like <laughs> for Satirical States of America, mm-hmm. I had Team America World Police <laughs> on my list. They wouldn't give it to us, so yeah. I was like, okay, I guess I'll put in the trailer in the, the trailer pre-show. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which De Niro screening are you most excited for audiences to kind of experience? Ooh, that's a good question. Like, which one are you ex- are you hoping people are going to go discover for the first time? Ooh, honestly, 
it would have to be in the B-side series that Christina did, yeah. which I'm really happy she did that because like I was saying, there's so much to choose from. Mm-hmm. And when you're building a major program like that, yeah. there's only so many of like not major films, especially when you're starting the year off. Yeah. That you can include in that. Yeah. I think the the one that I picked that's like just for me in mm-hmm. the uh, Bobby's World series is Analyze This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the Bobby B-Side series, um, I watched all of those that she had picked so that I could put the trailer together. Nice. Um, and I fucking loved Hi Mom and I loved the fan. I have a ticket for Hi Mom because I don't know anything about it. I oh. love it. I love the title, Hi Mom. Okay, it's directed by Brian De Palma. Okay, and it, and it's on thirty five. I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, I'm blind buying my seat right now. Oh man, I am gonna really try to see if I can go to that one because, <laughs> man, that movie just surprised me so much. Nice, and um, that uh, actually bookends the trailer really nicely clips from that movie um and it's just so fucking wild it's (laughs) so wild and it's so short and it's gonna look amazing on film um i was very Mm. impressed by that movie and i was also very impressed by the fan Mm. i couldn't believe that i had not heard of this movie before um, 90s right yeah, because yeah. I do like Tony Scott quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, my and God. That's a Tony Scott movie? It's a Tony Scott movie. Shit. Yeah. And it's De Niro and Wesley Snipes. It's Yo, like... It's I, gotta, I think really, I got to be there. You have to go. It's really good. <laughs> I love Tony um, Scott. So I was, I was very excited to check those out. Um, and so, so, so good. Yeah. Uh, and... Of the Bobby's world, I'm very excited to see Cape Fear with a crowd because Oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> when I watched Cape Fear in my living room, yeah. I was screaming yeah. so much. Horrifying. <laughs> I was screaming so much. And in so many different ways. Too. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so true. He's he's a wild boy in that <laughs> wild, wild. Like yeah. so good. I have just, you know, an experience like that, if you have an experience like that at home, <laughs> it's just only going to be tenfold in a theater with yeah. a group of people, you know, that's going to be wild. But yeah, I think they're, they're all going to be a great time. I mean, as uh, I think that's something that you kind of look for too, when you're putting together a series. And another mm. reason why Awakenings probably didn't make it because you mm. do kind of want people to have like a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. <laughs> you're like, Hey, we're, we're at the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, things can be hard hitting. Like, you know, sure. when I was doing the Kirsten Dunn series, Melancholia is a, is oh, a necessity yeah. yes. because she's so fucking good in it, mm-hmm. number one. Yep. And even though it's a downer, it's a movie that you really want to see in a theater. Yeah, it's, so it's true. And it's like... It's one you can easily be distracted by. You know, 100%. at home, distracted with all these little things. That, that's one you really need to, like, get invested in. The sound? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, it's yeah, I think that's something that, you know, you always want to keep in consideration. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of these are going to be so much fun. I think the, the choices that he makes as an actor and the directors that he works with, I mean, like the deer hunter is going to stress people out. Oh my God. Oh God. (laughs) And I feel like De Niro's like uh, his movies are the ones that for me, at least was something that I can kind of share with, you know, elders in my family, my parents, because like they grew up with a different kind of De Niro than I was. So it's kind of like, I, I feel like this series is going to, you're, you might see a lot of uh, parents bringing their kids to show them (sighs) raging bull for the first time. I would love that. You know what I'm saying? I would love that. I I think that's going to be really fun for, for all, all ages in the audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's another, that's another one that, that obviously, you know, makes it in because it's an iconic film. Yeah. Uh, you know, he won the Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're having like a, 
a bang zoom, great fucking, you know, wild time, but yeah. you're in awe of what's happening in front of you still. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's the 4k restoration I saw too. Yes. So that's going to yes. be nice, but absolutely. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that. And, um, this was a great conversation, Desmond. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I had a lot of fun and I definitely learned a lot about like just the world of, you know, programming and everything that kind of everything that you, that you, the work that you do to kind of put into it. It's just really exciting stuff. So thank you. Thanks again for coming on the show and we'll see you at the movies. Yes. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Again, I am so, so honored to have Desmond Thorne on my show. That was a lovely conversation and so insightful. I do hope you enjoyed hearing that and plan on visiting Bobby's World at Nighthawk Cinema this month. I have my tickets for a few screenings and they're all De Niro films that I've never seen before. So that's going to be really exciting to see them and on 35mm too. Bobby's World and the supplemental film series Bobby B-Sides are running for the entire month of January at both Nighthawk locations and tickets are on sale right now. Marquee Mixtape will return at the end of the month where me and a guest will discuss our reactions to the movies that we saw at Bobby's World and Bobby B-Sides. So until then, Happy New Year's, and we'll see you at the movies.